Well, habit, looking at habits. And on your outline, if you're an outline taker, there's an outline on your worship folder. A habit can feed an unhealthy appetite. A habit can feed an unhealthy, unhealthy appetite. Appetite. Now, some of us grew up, all of us grew up in homes, but some of those homes taught us unhealthy habits. Didn't mean to, they just did. Maybe you were taught by fear. Maybe you were taught by, well, you, you fill it in, what taught you that you have to deal with. But I, I belong to a new family now. My previous family's awesome, but I belong to a new family. So one of the questions here in this thing, this, this whole picture of habits is last time we were together, we looked at Lot, and Lot, well, he's an amazing story because in this, and let me read in, in Genesis 12, a little ahead. In Genesis 12, four, it says, so Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran and headed for the land of Canaan. Abram leaves, his fathers died, but not only has his father died, his brothers died. And the fact that his brothers died means his brother's son, or Abram's nephew Lot, had no parent anymore. And so Abram says, come with me. And Abram takes him in. And we talked about the rest of the story. They, they get into Canaan and it's an amazing situation there. And there's an on and off. And, I, and, and I'm grateful to God for showing us that Abram's not perfect. He's not Abraham yet, he's still Abram. He's not perfect. In fact, he goes down into Egypt. And like me, he married a very, very beautiful woman. And so he gets down into Egypt and he's a little afraid that, Pharaoh, that Pharaoh's gonna take him out because he wants that wife, Sarah. And so he tells a lie, not my wife, my sister. And he gets caught in that, in an embrace with her where the people realize, whoa, I've taken her into my house, Pharaoh says. I haven't touched her yet, but I've taken her into my house. And well, I thought you'd kill me if you found out that was my wife. I mean, really, Abram? No fear here, child of God. And he has this journey of trust that all of us, I'm, let us not assume he just got it. He does this one more time, actually. And it's an amazing journey, but then he gets it. And in, in Genesis 13, as we work to our focal passage, he says, so Abram left Egypt, he left Egypt and traveled north into the Negev along with his wife and Lot and all that he owned. It says in verse two, Abram was very rich in livestock, silver and gold. And from the Negev, he continued traveling by stages uh, toward Bethel and they pitched their tents between Bethel and Ai where they camped, where they had camped before. And to give us some text here, verse four says, this is the same place where Abram had built the altar and there he had worshiped the Lord again. And there he worshiped the Lord again. He has a habit, not perfect, but he has a habit. And his habit is build an altar and worship. Build an altar and worship. I trust you, I'm a child of you. Build an altar of worship. It's different from Lot's habit because Lot has a habit of not being content. And we know the story of Lot. He has a habit of not being content and in his habit of not being content, it's very interesting because he all of a sudden, he and Abram become more and more and more wealthy in this business that they own together of livestock and their, their shepherds are arguing with each other and Abram says to Lot, look, we can't maintain up here in the hills together so I want you to choose wherever you wanna be, you choose. Lot should have said, the right thing to say is, are you kidding me? All that I have I got from you. Uncle Abram, you choose. He doesn't do that. He says, well, you know, you've not gone into the valley down there, and I don't know why you haven't gone into the valley. I'm going into the valley. And scripture tells us he went into the valley and pitched his tents near a place called Sodom. 
I have to believe, he said to himself, there is, I mean, I know that's bad. Sodom's bad. There's no way I'm going into Sodom. But as time goes on, he not only goes into Sodom, he moves into Sodom, and he becomes on the town council of Sodom. And as we talked about last time, there was never quite enough for him, this habit of discontent. A little more, just a little more. I'm happy if I have a little more and a little more. He will end his life in a cave with nothing. And it gets so bad and so debauched that both his daughters get him pregnant, that he gets both his daughters pregnant. Nothing. And he has to be saying to himself, as I've heard in in the counseling office so many times, how did I get here? Well, it's not an action first. It's a habit, discontent, a habit of fear. Can I just tell you in this next election, I already have a king. I will be voting, but I have a king. No fear here, I have a king. We, we tend to look at subcontracting out America. Let's select the right guys and get back to business. America's never gonna be changed by the White House, it has to be changed by my house and by your house. We have a king, no fear, we sang that, no fear. I have to deal with my habits though, because number two, I am either the victim or the benefactor of my habits. Yeah, verse four goes on to say, this is the, goes, says this is the same place where Abram had built the altar and there he worshiped the Lord again. His habit, I'm back. I, I, I went to Egypt, I sinned in Egypt, I'm back. I should have never left here, I'm back. I'm never gonna be perfect, but I have to go back to the altar on a daily basis. I'm back, Lord. Because so often I don't go back and so often I'm dealing with my stuff and as I'm dealing with my stuff and my family has this problem, my business has this problem, my health, my wife's health, and all of a sudden fear creeps in rather than I know who you are and you love me so much you came for me. Yeah, but I've got to work at this. Number three, developing the habit of worshiping God by living for God is life's most important quest. It's my why. My why, we have a, I work at Sheridan House and we have a habit there of when we're making decisions on some things we should do, the first question is not what we should do, it's why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? And in some of our events, if it's just to raise money, I know who he is, he can, how much, he can bring it all. I've seen it, all we need. We tend to think life's problems are financially oriented. Oh, they're not. I had some pastors from a church in Miami sitting around my, I have a, my desk is really a big dining room table and we were sitting around and they were talking about the financial issue and some of the other, other issues in their church there and I had my, uh, my phone on my desk, my, my smartphone on my desk and I said, guys, I'm going to keep this right here because Rosemary's at the doctor's and I just want to get the report right away and all of a sudden I get a text and I look down at it and I go, wow, and one of them says, is she okay? I says, well, I probably shouldn't have said that big a wow, it's not about Rosemary, but wow, um, it's, it's a lady in Miami wants me to come down and pick up a check and I said, and one of them said, well, because they've been talking about finances the whole time. And one of them said, uh, can I just ask how much it is? And I said, yeah, $88,000. Can I come down this afternoon and pick up a check for $88,000? And he's looking at me, he said, you don't even know her, do you? And I said, no, not really. We tend to fear the wrong thing. I need to build a habit in my life of worshiping God. And we tend to think this is worshiping God. Coming here on Sunday, this isn't worshiping God. This is studying God and you leading us and praising God. Romans 12 tells us what worshiping God is. And in Romans 12, 1, it says this. 
And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Why would I give my body? Because of all you've done. In view of the mercies of God, is this too much to ask, one translation says? Let them be living in holy sacrifices, the kind he will accept. This is truly the way you worship him, it says. We go out of here and we worship him. Not with our fears, with our confidence in him. We bring to the altar of life. I, I, I don't know what you're doing, but I trust you in this. So I'm not gonna worry about me. I'm gonna minister to people. How can I help people? How can I help you today? How can I serve you today? And, and we need to be in a culture that's more servant-oriented. If serving is beneath me, let me say, leadership is beyond me. I'm called to serve because I trust you. No fear, no fear, no fear. Yeah, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I'm going to give you this land to your offspring and, build, and, and Abram built an altar there. There he commemorated the Lord in, in verse eight of that passage. Abram built an altar and worshiped the Lord, 13, 18, where he built an altar to the Lord. Wow, this was his habit. My habit is to build an altar and spend time with you and do less talking and do more listening and then go out and do serving. Go out and do serving. And he's gonna to need to do some very serious serving because they're separated. You know now that Lot's living in Sodom. Abram's back in the hill country. Not the best place, but he's not going anywhere near Sodom. And up here I can worship you better. I can worship you better. When I was a little boy, I grew up outside of New York City, but my grandpa, my mom's dad, had a land track farm in Colorado, in the, in the northeast section of Colorado. And I went out at, at eight or nine years old and got to spend some of the summer with my grandpa. And, and he had a tractor, and I'd get to be in the tractor with him. It was just a basic, simple tractor. It had a covering, but a simple tractor. And, and somebody came, a guy from... Uh, in that community and he bought a brand new tractor with all kinds of stuff and a radio and all these different things and he was showing it to my grandpa and it was, it was just cool to watch and he left and I said to my grandpa, that was, that was really a nice tractor. He said, no, that was a distraction. I'm here to plow the field and talk to God. Our cars are great. But can I tell you, Chuck Swindoll gave me permission on the radio to pray in the car. I didn't even know we were allowed to pray in the car. I didn't even know we, I mean, just, I, I, I don't close my eyes anymore when I pray in the car, but I, I, didn't even, I didn't even know we were allowed to do that until Chuck Swindoll 30 years ago on the radio talked about his prayer time in the car. And I thought, wow, that's okay to do, wow. Yeah, well, separated and we get Genesis 14, our focal passage where it says, about this time war broke out in the region, in the region, King, Amaphel of Babylonia, King Ariach of King Ariach of Eleazar. I'm going to botch these all. King Ketoliamer of Elam and King Tidal of Goim fought against King Bera of Sodom and King Bersha of Gomorrah and King Sinab of uh, Adma and King Semaber of Zeboim. And can I just say, if any of you know how to pronounce these, don't bother coming up to me afterwards to correct me and help me pronounce them. I'm good with this. And King Bela now called Zor, the king of Bela, attacked. So we got these massive kingdoms attacking the kingdom in this area, Sodom, the king of Sodom, the kingdom of Gomorrah, and these other kingdoms, and huge war breaks out. And, the, and what happens is, skip down to verse 11, the victorious invaders then plundered Sodom and Gomorrah and began their long journey home, taking all the wealth and food with God. They also captured Lot, Abram's nephew, who lived in Sodom, who lived in Sodom, and took everything he owned. 
One of the men who escaped came and told Abraham, the he- Abram, the Hebrew, see, he's not there. <laughs> he's off where he's supposed to be. Who was camped at the oak grove belonging to, uh, belonging to Mamre the Amorite, Mamre and his relatives, Eskel and Abner and Abram's allies. When Abram learned Lot had been captured, and you think that's going to say, I mean, four kingdom armies. And you think that's going to say that Abram's going to say, you know what, I'm going to pray for Lot. I, I can't imagine. I'll, I'll pray for you. You think that's going to be what comes next. When Abram learned that Lot had been captured, comma, he called together the men born into his household, 318 of them in all. He chased after Ketulamer's army until he caught up with them in Dan. These men had learned something about Abram. Because I got to tell you, Abram calls us together and said, I know you know what's going on down there and all those massive, all the noise we heard in the valley and all these massive kingdoms and they've captured everybody and they've captured my nephew and we're going after him. And I got to tell you, if I'm one of them, I'm saying, you know, I got three weeks vacation coming. This is a good time. I mean, really? 318? They'd come to realize this is a man of God. This is a man of God. And as children of God, we are called to do things and to give things that are so outlandish that if God doesn't intervene, we're in trouble rather than live and stay safe. We're called to push it because we trust God. We trust God. Yeah, he gets there. He gets to where they are, caught up with them in Dan. And it says in verse 15, with his, really, 318 men against four armies, there he divided his men and attacked during the night from several directions. When we get to heaven, there has to be a Blu-ray lending library. Because I want to see the look on these guys' faces when they get, okay, there's 318 and you're dividing us even smaller here, really. And we're going to surround them, really. Yeah, it's awesome. And they attacked from several directions, and Ketaliamer's army fled. But Abram chased them to Hobath near Damascus. And Abram and his allies recovered everything. The goods that had been taken, Abram, Abram's nephew Lot, with his possessions and all the women and other captives. How did he do that? Abram trusted God. It's not a matter, I want to see your fighting plan, man. This is unbelievable. It's interesting, ever since, and many of you have been out there, I know, to the new campus at Sheridan House, and ever since then, and I've told them not to come, don't come visit, don't come visit, but so many people from around the country have come because it's, it's, it's basically a $65 million building project and we had $10,000. And, and, and I, to this day, I don't know how it happened, but they've come out and they've looked and, and a group called from Colorado and said, I want to see this. And, and a group just came down from uh, Atlanta Eagle Ranches and I want to see this. And, and I say, don't come, I don't know either. We just knew God wanted us to do this. And then people showed up, many people showed up and said, I want to be involved. How can I help? Let me build a house. Yeah, let me, let me help. It was kind of amazing watching that happen. I don't know either. We just knew we were supposed to do it. He attacks, yeah, because he, he, I mean, what did he really do? He didn't build anything. What he did is he trusted God. He's a great man because of his great faith in God. He was all in on God with his 318 men. But now comes the great temptation where habit will help him. The right habit will help him because it says in verse 17, 
As Abram returned from his victory over Kedoliamor and his allies, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shavah. You know, when I'm doing something big, risky, or I'm in need, I'm on my knees or in my car praying. It's after, it's all taken care of, and it's awesome. Blessings are a nice experience. Difficulty, stretching my faith. Oh, those are the teachers. I am a child of God. No fear, I am a child of God. I am a child of God. So we have the king of Sodom who's been hiding, who didn't go after his people, come to meet Abram. And just as he comes to meet Abram, the most mysterious being in all the Bible, in my opinion, in verse 18 comes out. Then Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Now he is the first priest king in the Bible. Psalm 110, if you wanna look it up later, verse four, you are the priest forever referring to Jesus in the order of Melchizedek. And Hebrews 5, 7 tries to explain Melchizedek because there's no history before or after. Many believe it's God in skin. Many believe it's Jesus. Many commentators. But just as he's coming back with this empire of stuff, all, and, and a king comes and says, let's negotiate a deal for my stuff, I mean, which isn't his stuff, spoils of war, but spoils of war can spoil you. All of a sudden, the very next verse, then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the priest of God most high, brought him bread and wine. It's kind of an interesting, they're gonna do a Lord's Supper thing here. And they spend time doing a Lord's Supper thing. And as they're doing a Lord's Supper, it, it, it's drawing Abram back to his habit because he has a good habit of an altar, but he's come back incredibly triumphant. Arguous, arguably the wealthiest man in, any, in that part of the world at that time. The spoils of four kingdoms, the spoils of the other four kings that were conquered, and his own stuff, incredibly wealthy. And he's coming back, but it's his good habits. Yeah, number four. Good habits have a way of drawing us in good directions. Good habits have a way of drawing us in good directions. When all of a sudden there's a temptation to pull me off, because I'm gonna be meeting and interacting with the king of Sodom now, but somebody just gets in between us. Oh, the good habit. And God visits him then, and they have that time together. Yeah, verse 18, then, and then meaning right before Abram has to make a decision about the spoils of war. Melchizedek, the king of Salem and a priest of God most high brought him bread and wine. Verse 19, Melchizedek blessed him. He said, Melchizedek blessed Abraham with this blessing. Blessed be Abraham. How? Why? Blessed be Abraham by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. Oh, Abram, lest you try to explain how you had this big victory. And I, I know you get it, but there are just times, I get it, there are times when my ego wants to say, yep, I did that. Yep, I did that. Yep, that was me. Oh, I get, oh yeah. Come talk to me about fundraising, I got it. I don't have a clue. Yeah. Abram, Abram, blessed be Abram by God, most high creator of heaven and earth. And the next verse, verse 20, lest Abram misses it. And blessed be God, most high, who has helped you, who has helped you conquer your enemies. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. It's almost, and I may be reading too much into this, it's almost like, you know what? Yeah. It's worshiping by giving, but he realizes by giving, I got, I got it. You gave me all, 
need this stuff, don't want this stuff. How much is enough stuff? And my culture trains me, gives me the habit of a little more, just a little more. Enough stuff is just, I'll be a little more in savings, a little more in my pension, a little more in my this, a little more in my, just a little more and I'll be happy. Yeah, he's worshiping by giving and immediately comes the challenge. But number five, best habit, how can I gain glory for God today? Yeah, oh, Melchizedek, thank you. I'm back in the valley and, and wow, I'm, I'm, they're cheering. I'm kind of the man and I've not dealt with this. I've been isolated uh, up there and wow, I'm somebody and wow, and I got all this stuff and, and, and no, 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 no. How can I, because technically I'm the king of all these countries now, how can I gain glory for God? Because I don't need this stuff. I don't need more stuff. I don't need glory. I forgot for a second, I am content. I am content. I'm content. Number six, developing the habit of contentment is a way to worship God. I'm good. Because you've done exceedingly and abundantly more than all I would have ever asked or imagined. If we're honest, I remember being in graduate school at the University of Tennessee, and they just put in a drive-through at the Burger King. And I remember coming home from graduate school, or coming back to the apartment, getting ready to go work at a gas station, thinking, there will be a time in my life when I can afford to buy two Whoppers instead of just one. And by looking at me, you can tell I've been doing two Whoppers for a long time. Yeah, and that, that was like big for, wow, when I can actually, if I will be able to, wow. Next verse. The king of Sodom told him, I'm done with Melchizedek. The king of Sodom told him, give back my people who, who were captured, but you may keep for yourself all the goods you have recovered. Really, I can actually keep for myself everything. I recovered everything. But that little point me back to my habit, the altar of God, altar of God, altar of God. You know, I have a wife who does that regularly. I have an amazing wife. And when I get a little whacked over something like finances and Rosemary says something like, Bob, Bob, when has God ever let us down? Now on the outside, I want to get her around the neck. On the inside, I know, on the outside, I want her to worry a little with me. On the inside, she's right. She's right, she's right. And he has never, he's just stretched the muscle of my faith for me to grow. Yeah. The next verse, God, Abram replied, I have solemnly promised the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, just king of Sodom, just so you know who we're talking about, not those gods you have, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take so much as a single thread or sandal thong. Why? Well, otherwise you may say, I am the one who made Abram rich. Why? Because when people would see all that Abram have, and the king of Sodom said, oh yeah, that was mine. I'm the one who made him rich. That, that, all that stuff was mine. I mean, he got it in the war, but that was mine. I'm the one who, oh no, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Glory to God. Absolute glory to God. I had a friend fly in from high school. 
I was not, this won't surprise those of you that know me, I was not exactly most likely to succeed in high school. And I was exactly in the middle of my graduating class. And uh, this friend flew in who's extremely well-to-do and uh, owns tons of stuff. And they were, they were having a party at the, uh, at the high, at the football team was having a party at the high school uh, reunion. And somebody Googled me and they started laughing. And one of them said, Barnes wrote books? And I'm told one of them said, comic books, right? And uh, so, and he has his own plane, and so he, he calls and he says, you know, I found you, and it, uh, it is you, right, Bob, Walt Whitman High School? And I said, yeah, what's up, Barry? And, and we're talking, he says, I'm coming, I'm flying in. What happened to you? I said, well, fly in. And so we spent the day sitting at uh, Chili's, talking before he went home, and I said, you know, I don't want to overcomplicate this thing, it's Jesus. I mean, there are times when I really know that, there are times when I tend to say that, and, and I gotta get back to having the habit of knowing that, knowing that, no fear, child of God, child of God, child of the King, who's done exceedingly and abundantly beyond all I would ask or imagine in my life. I have to remember that. And he's just looking at me, like really. A couple months later, he flew back with his wife, who was a psychiatrist at NIH. And she's just watching, like, I mean, I know the way he told us, she must have thought, that guy needs medication, let's go give him some help and comes back and I don't know what else to say. It was a long road of trust and I fall off the trust truck every now and then and I get back on the trust truck and I believe in me every now and then and I gotta stay on that trust truck because unto him who's able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all I would ask or imagine. Well, Bob, then take your eyes off of you and become a living sacrifice. Sacrifice yourself today for people. This is the way you worship me, it says in Romans 12. Yeah. If I do that, Melchizedek came. We have the Holy Spirit. Times you know, you know, I need to do this or give this, and this is, the more I think about it, the more I tighten up on it. Let it go. Number seven, God will always point the way for a life in pursuit of God's glory, of God's glory. Yeah, he will always. It's the habits that tend to get us off when we're a little weak or a little frightened or a little don't know. So number eight, Abram had developed habits we must develop. His first habit, letter A, the habit of trusting God. A habit of trusting God. He had a habit of trusting God. And he started his days apparently going to that altar. When he moved uh, around with the sheep, he built an altar and he built an altar. But he did more than that. Letter B, the habit of praising God. I know you did this. Thank you, Lord. And can I say, it's not that God needs our praises. I need to say it. I need to say it. I need to be reminded. I didn't do this. I didn't earn this. I don't deserve this. It was R.C. Sproul that had the landmark sentence in his book, Holiness of God. You don't want what you deserve. You deserve hell. I mean, I read that. Did he actually say that? Did he put that in there? I read that over and over. Wow, he's right. He's right. But let her see the habit of protecting God's glory, of protecting God's glory. Paul, the apostle, got it. Paul said in Philippians 1.24, I live in eager expectation and hope that I will never do anything that causes me shame. That, well, what would that mean, Paul? What, but that I will always be bold for Christ as I've been in the past and that my life will always honor Christ whether I live or die. He says that from prison. He's in prison when he writes this letter to Philippi. I live, well, you live in house arrest, man. No, no, I don't live in that. 
I live in the, in the expectation and the hope that I will never fail to bring glory to God with anything I do say or back down from saying. Yeah, this pursuit of Abraham, this pursuit of Paul. Paul, you're in house arrest saying that? How'd you get there? Well, he says it in Philippians 4.12, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned, oh, here it is, you know it, the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living or in plenty or in want. How? I can do everything through him who gives me strength. The Quest America is content with me, bold for Christ. Content with me, bold for Christ. The problem's not in Washington. The problem's in every town, bold for Christ. Looking for people who live radically for Christ. Amen, amen. I have solemnly promised, Abraham said, the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take so much as a single thread or sandal thong from you. Why? Otherwise you might say, I'm the one who made Abram rich. See, my thought would be, no, I, I will, I'll use it for ministry, Lord. Oh, Bob, I so know you, son. You'll mean to, but you'll. He's saying, I got enough. Take it back. Just learn. Now, you know what happened? Lot went right back into Sodom. Lot heard this message and went right back into Sodom and lost everything, including his wife. Abram went right back to worshiping God, going back to the altar. It's not a matter of hearing what this man is telling us. It's a matter of doing what this man is showing us. Number nine, developing the habit of contentment comes out of a desire to focus on God, not self. It's Romans 12.1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, wrote Paul says, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. How do I get here? Because we need to get here. We'll never be happy. We'll never be content. I get here beginning with trusting Christ as my Lord and Savior. Huge difference between Lord and Savior. Savior gets me to heaven by acknowledging my need for him. Lord is a daily thing. Savior is a, this is the time to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior if you haven't. But for all of us, Lord, we've linked Lord and Savior like they're one word. Lord is, you're my Lord today. This is the day the Lord has made. This is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. I kind of used to think those two are too tight. This is the day the Lord has made, comma, he texted me my schedule, it looks awesome, I rejoice, I'm glad in it. No, there's an issue of trust, the comma means trust. Bob, this is the day the Lord has made. Trust me, I, I'm your father and I died for you. Oh, you're right, no more fear. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. It's for Christ's sake. He's got you.